Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
blessed by that? Mm. What a great message. One day waking up and finding it home. That's a great message, folks. It's a great song because it expresses a great truth that one day we're going home to the kingdom. Today, I want to give a very special welcome to our viewers on the Three Angels Broadcasting Network, particularly to Danny and Linda Shelton, and uh, our television stations throughout other parts of America, particularly our friends in Los Angeles. We welcome you today to a very special meeting of the Community Adventist Fellowship. And today we have a very special guest, Pastor Athel Tolhurst from the General Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, today, Pastor Tolhurst, it is my great privilege to give you the warmest welcome. Pastor Tolhurst and I come from the same part of the world, and we both talk a little bit funny. Uh, you folks think we've got accents when Pastor Tolhurst and I know that you have. Pastor Tolhurst is one of the great preachers of the church. Pastor Tolhurst has run major evangelistic campaigns that God has put his hand upon and blessed. Pastor Tolhurst has served in the South Pacific Division in various capacities. He has served as conference president, also president of one of the unions over there, and more recently as the secretary of the South Pacific Division. Uh, Pastor Tolhurst comes to us today from the General Conference where he is the Undersecretary of the General Conference. He has just returned from Africa where he visited Zimbabwe and South Africa. And those places, of course, are in the midst of tremendous transition. Uh, Pastor Tolhurst and I went to the same college and we were there together, Avondale College. He is a very dear friend of Beverly's and mine. We know his family well, his beautiful wife, Lindley. We want to give her today, through our television broadcast, our love and our very best wishes. And therefore, on behalf of the Community Adventist Fellowship and Three Angels Broadcasting Network and the Southern California Conference, it is my pleasure today to welcome as our guest speaker, Pastor Athol Talhurst, and I would like you to give him a good Southern California welcome. God bless you, I want to thank John and all of you for the warm welcome that I've received. It is a delight for me to be here with you today, to worship with you and to share a little of God's Word. We have lived in the United States now for just 14 months, so we're fairly new to this country. But we have received a wonderful welcome, and we do appreciate the love and the, and the friendship that has been shown to us by so many people. I am excited this morning. Uh, I am thrilled because of the prospect of the soon coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When I hear the, the concerns, when I hear the problems that we face in this world all around us today, and, and I see the, the effects of, of sin in the lives of so many people, I just long for the coming of Jesus, to make it all right again. And, uh, and so this morning, uh, it is, it's just filled my heart, and I feel so happy about it. You know, we have become expert weather watchers. When we're planning a vacation, or when it is that we're hoping for a day of golf, or fishing, or whatever it is we might want to do, 
we, we, watch the, uh, we look at the signs of, of, of the weather, what might be coming. We, we listen to the weather forecasts and, and we plan our vacations, we plan our day off in harmony with the weather. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Jesus talked about weather watchers. I want you to turn with me into the book of Matthew. Turn with me and see what Jesus had to say about weather watchers. We're turning to Matthew chapter 16, and I want to read the first three verses here, where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were Jewish le uh, religious leaders and men who came to him with a question, Tempting him, it says in the first verse, tempting him, they desired that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, as you know, as you, you've studied the Bible, you, you know that there were many people who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted him to prove his claims that he was the Messiah. And so they said, give us a sign. Do some miracle that will prove to us that you have divine power, uh, that, that your claims are, are valid claims, and that we might believe in you. And so it was that they asked him on this occasion again. Many times did they ask him to work a sign or a miracle for them. Notice what he said in verse 2. When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. What an interesting comment. Here Jesus took the opportunity to point out that they were weather watchers. Uh, they would see the, the, the red sky in the morning, or they would see the red sky in the evening, and they would predict what the weather might be like because of that. But he said there are taking place all around you signs of the times, and you can't even read what those things mean. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about his own ministry, wasn't he? He was pointing out to them that the things that he was doing were in fulfillment to the Bible prophecies concerning the Messiah. And if they only knew the prophecies, if they were to understand those prophecies, then they would see in his ministry proof that he was indeed the Messiah, the promised one. But they were not uh, perceiving those things. Now, I've done a little weather watching myself, and uh, what I've seen in the world around me in this modern world, what I've seen has left a profound impact upon my mind. I uh, picked up a Time magazine just uh, yesterday as I was coming through one of the airports on my way here to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles. The latest Time magazine uh, with the, the title on the cover, Whose Little Girl Is This? And I notice here in page 22 of this Time magazine, there is a reference to the disasters and the tragedies. It's called a season in hell. Now, this is paradise, this country, but the Time magazine says you've been spending a season in hell because of the record disasters and tragedies that have struck this country of North America in just the last 12 months or so. I read in this magazine and others which have come to me, I read about... Uh, uh, the, uh, the record hurricane, Andrew, that swept across parts of this country and, and uh, caused so much havoc and so much loss of life and, and loss of property. The greatest cyclone, one of the hundred-year storms, supposed to come once every hundred years. Hurricane Andrew was the fourth hundred-year storm to, to strike the United States in the last five years. And then I, I read about the... Uh, 
and I, I experienced the record snowstorm that swept through the eastern states of the United States here just uh, during the latter part of last winter. The, the most severe snowstorm that has ever struck the eastern part of the United States. More than 200 people died in that storm. We were snowed in in my home. It was the first experience I'd ever had of that kind of thing. Uh, I read in this Time magazine here that last year, in the last 12 months, there have been a record number of tornadoes touched down in the United States. 1,381 tornadoes in 12 months. Record number. And then we all know about the record floods that have swept across the middle states, the Mississippi and those places. Record floods, the largest that have ever come. And when I see these things, you know, my heart is moved because Jesus talked about these things. Uh, I have another Time magazine here which uh, came to my, uh, my desk a little while back and I remember uh, at the time it was reporting on the tragedies and the troubles in northern Iraq. Uh, during the, uh, the uh, troubles between the Iraqis and the Kuwaitis and the uh, other nations became involved, as you remember. And here in this magazine there were pictures of the uh, Kurds. The Kurds are a people who have no country of their own. Some of them live in Turkey and some live in northern Iraq. And when there's trouble in Iraq they go across the border over the mountains into Turkey. And when there's trouble in Turkey they come back across the border into Iraq. And one should feel sorry for people like that who have no home where they can, which they can call their own. And because of the troubles in northern Iraq, these people were fleeing up into the mountains trying to get across into Turkey. And it was winter time and there was snow on the ground. And uh, there were pictures of these people camped in the snow. Thousands of them. Men and women, children, little babies. With little by way of shelter. No water, no food. And here's a picture of two of them with little bundles wrapped up in, in colored cloth, you see, and little ribbons tied around them, and they're burying them in a hole in the ground. They didn't make it through the night, you see, little babies. And when I see things like that, my heart is moved. I, I, the, the, I, I receive impressions that never leave me of the disasters and the tragedies and the, the sorrow that people experience in this world. And it's the same in many other countries. I, I guess you remember the, the storm that came through Bangladesh just a few years ago when uh, as many as 300,000 people died when the cyclone swept in there and the waters came up over the land and swept the, the villages down back into the sea. Tragic time. Uh, there's a picture in one of these magazines that, that breaks my heart every time I see it because it, uh, it pictures the animals that were swept up on the, on the shore from the sea, swept back onto the shore after the storm had passed. Thousands of animals, bloated goats and horses and cattle and other animals there. And in amongst these bloated animals, John, have a look at it, are the bloated bodies of men and women and little children, all mixed in with the animals. Tragic things. Yeah. And it's the same in Somalia and Uganda and you can go to just about any country in the world and they've got their troubles today. Terrible troubles. You know, in the, in the face of these tragedies and disasters, I can hear the cry ringing in my ears, the cry that has echoed down through the years of time. You find it in the Bible. You've heard it from the lips of people. How long, O Lord, how long must we endure these, these tragedies and these disasters and these troubles? How long? You find it in the book of Psalms. You find it again in the book of Daniel. It's over there in the book of Revelation. It's all through the Bible and down through the years of time. 
It is because, you see, the, these things go on and gone and on. Because people are suffering disaster and tragedy and disappointment and loss. That many people today are even beginning to question the existence of God. Is there a God up there or is there no? Even some Christians are beginning to doubt the existence of God. You know, those who read their Bibles, however, know that these things are going to be in the world, particularly as we come closer and closer to the end of time. We know that uh, there will be an increase of these. See, the Bible says that our God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. And so he has told us to expect these things in the world around us as we approach the end of time. And we should recognize them as signs. You see, we should be good weather watchers. Is that what we're talking about? We should recognize them as signs that indicate that the coming of our Lord and Savior is getting near, indeed very near. But even among Christians, as I said a moment ago, there are those who, because of these troubles, because these things go on and on and on, are beginning to lose their faith. In fact, uh, the, the sacred scriptures tell us that this would be so. In the book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to notice with me what it has to say there about the attitude of people down here in the last days of earth's history. 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to notice with me what it says here in verses 3 and 4. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And then it goes on to say these people are willingly ignorant of many things that have been revealed through the prophets and, and by means of God's grace and mercy. Where is the promise? You know, the, the use of that phrase, where is the promise of his coming, it seems to underline to me the, the fact that there was a promise that Jesus would come back again and that there would be some people expecting the fulfillment of that promise. Uh, certainly the promise exists in the word of God, does it not? What did Jesus himself say? If, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, Jesus longs to have us there with him. Did you know that? Did you know that he can hardly wait to come and take you home to heaven? That glorious shore that we heard about in that lovely song. You know, Jesus prayed to his father, as recorded in John chapter 17, and he said, Father, I would that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where? Where I am. Jesus longs to have his people with him where he is. That's brought a great deal of encouragement to me to know that Jesus just longs to have me there. And he longs to have you there. And he can hardly wait to come back again to take us there. And he sent angels and prophets to tell us that he's coming back again. And all through the Bible you find reference to the fact that Jesus is coming back again. One in every 13 verses in the New Testament, on the average, speaks of the return of Jesus back to this world again. Wonderful message. It's the fulfillment, the, the, the culmination of all the, the saving grace and the, uh, and the work of redemption of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's coming back to take us home. And if that weren't true, we would be of all men what? 
most miserable. But because it is true, then what should we be? But joyful and glad, excited, happy people so that others can see it on our faces and want to know what it is that's making us so happy and joyful in this sad old world. Well, you know, I, uh, I remember as a, as a child, back in my childhood days, my father was a preacher, you know. Uh, he was a missionary. I was born in the Pacific Islands, in an island adjacent to that that our friend Azaki Kambu uh, lives in, a little island group of, called Tonga. I was born there of missionary parents. And I remember through the years in Tonga and again when we moved to New Zealand to live and later uh, in other places, I remember my father preaching about the, the return of Jesus Christ back to this world again. And he preached with such enthusiasm, such conviction that Jesus is coming soon that I, uh, I came to the conclusion that Jesus would return to this world again before I ever had a chance to grow up. Uh, I, I believe that, uh, that I'd never finish college, you know, let alone marry and have a family of my own. Jesus will be here before that, uh, before that happens. But you know, friends, the years have come and gone. And here I am now, grown up, and I've had a family of my own, and my children are grown up, and I'm today a grandfather. Believe it or not, <laughs> John. <laughs> I'm a grandfather, twice over, and Jesus still hasn't come. You know, I wonder, I wonder how many of you here today have been expecting the coming of Jesus through a whole lifetime and now you're grandparents. How many of you, there are hands going up, you see? And maybe it's worried you, some of you. It's got to you, perhaps, because he hasn't come in all these years. You, you hardly know what to think anymore at times. Is my hope not based upon the sure foundation of the word of God? And so the questions course through our minds. We need to be careful about that, don't we? Because Jesus said that people who spoke of, of, the, of the coming of Christ in, in scoffing terms, uh, you know, the, the, these people are scoffers, the people who question the soon coming of Jesus and his return back to this world again. Scoffers, saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's the argument of uniformity, isn't it? All things continue as they were from the beginning. Nothing changes. The argument of uniformity... Uh, is used today to destroy many of the teachings of the Word of God. And we need to be careful that we don't fall victim to those kinds of arguments. Let us never lose our faith in the promises of Jesus. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, we have here Jesus himself speaking about his return back to this world again. And uh, it starts in verse 24. I'd like to share with you Mark chapter 13 and verse 24. If you'd like to find that verse and follow it along with me. Here Jesus says, In those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then what? Then, notice this and follow it carefully with me. Then shall they see something. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So here Jesus introduces the fact that he's coming back again. 
And he says, when you see some of these things happening, then you're going to know that the coming is near. All right, now, in light of the fact that he's talking about his return back to this world again, I want you to notice the counsel, the advice that he gives to his, uh, his hearers and his readers. Come down with me, would you please, to verse 32 and 33. He says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. So here, in light of the fact that he's coming back to this world again, Jesus says, I want you to watch and pray. Now what he means by that, of course, is that he wants us to make spiritual preparation. You see, praying is a spiritual exercise, isn't it? And we pray when we want to talk to God. And so he says, I want you to pray as you are awaiting my return back to the world again. But in association with your praying, I want you to do something else. What is it? I want you to watch. I want you to watch and pray. So obviously this watching here is a watching where you examine your own experience to see whether or not your experience is preparing you for the soon coming of Jesus. Whether or not your heart is right with God whether you've had your sins forgiven, whether you've turned away from, from the, uh, the temptations of the world and have committed your heart and life wholly and fully to, to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so he says, watch and pray. Make spiritual preparation. That's important. Now I want you to come down to verse 35. And you'll notice here in verse 35 that Jesus again calls upon his readers and his hearers to watch. Notice what it says. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. You see, here Jesus uses a different Greek word for watch. In verse 32-33, the Greek word that he uses there for watch suggests the idea that you watch your spiritual preparation. But in verse 35, he uses a different Greek word, which means watch in the sense that you are looking for something, lest you miss something. See? So you're watching outside of yourself this time. You're looking over there. You're watching, lest you miss something. Now believe me, friends, if Jesus calls upon us to watch, lest we miss something, then you can be assured that he would tell us what it is that we should be watching for. He's a reasonable God. He doesn't call upon us to watch for something lest we miss it and then not tell us what it is. Our God is a loving God. He wants us saved. As many as possible whom he can draw to himself. And so he has given to us in this same chapter that we're looking at, Mark chapter 13, he has given to us a whole series of signs and uh, events that would take place in the world that would indicate that his coming is near. Would you look with me please first of all to verse 8. Here Jesus, in reply to a question that was put to him by his disciples, who came and said, When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? How will we know when the end of the world is near? Jesus began to answer, and he spoke of many things. And one of the things he says is found in verse 8. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. 
These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now we spoke of some of these things at the beginning today, didn't we? If you look out in the world today, there's not one of us here, I'm sure, who would deny that our world is filled with troubles. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, disasters, tragedies, famines, all kinds of pestilences in the world around us today. That's one of the things Jesus said in answer to the question, what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Now there are many other things he says there, but come with me down to verse 20, uh, 24. We notice he says, in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall. So he says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And I tell you, friends, there are many interesting and wonderful things happening out there in the skies and have happened in the past already that you need to know about as indications that the coming of Christ is near. Come back to verse 22. Verse 22, for false Christs and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So these are some of the things that Jesus foretold. False Christs and false prophets. The world is full of them today. People self-proclaimed messiahs. We've heard about them recently down in a place down there in Texas. There was a man who said he was Jesus Christ back on earth again as a sinning Christ. And there are others who claim to be sinless Christs, faultless Christs, prophets of God, all kinds of, of, of people claiming to be uh, Christs and, uh, and prophets. And the Bible said that when the world is filled with these kinds of people, it would be an indication that his coming is near. Now, friends, there's something else. There's something else that uh, we, uh, we don't seem to have uh, touched on yet. We haven't mentioned it. These things I have touched on, uh, uh, you can find evidence of them in the newspapers all across the land. It's as though the, the, the headlines are shouting to us. You know, see, the, the sky is red and lowering. What does it mean if it's red and lowering at night? Fine day tomorrow. See? If it's red in the morning, what does it mean? It's a bad day today. Don't go out playing golf. You'll get wet. See? That's what it means. And Jesus said, you can read the signs of, uh, of the, 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 the sky, you can, you can watch the weather and predict what it's going to be like, but you can't read the signs of the times. Friends, we mustn't be like those people, but we must be awake and reading the signs of the times, aware of what's happening in the world around us, and the, head, the headlines of the newspapers are shouting these things to us all the time. But what is the thing we've missed? I want you to come back with me to verse 10. And it's one simple verse of just two lines. And the gospel must first be published where? Among all nations. That was one of the signs that Jesus gave in answer to the question, how will we know when your coming is near? He said the gospel must first be preached to all the world. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, where he gives the same sign, and Matthew has recorded it, he says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And I say, glory to God, because the end is near. If this was the only sign given by Jesus in the Bible, if this was the only sign, then I would be confident and assured that Jesus' coming is near. I want to tell you, friends, that this, this text has been a challenge to God's people down through the years because, you see, if you want to see the king, you have to be engaged in the service of the king. There's a work that has to be finished first. 
The gospel has to be preached in all the world, you see. And he expects us to be involved in, in helping to share what we know of the saving grace of Jesus Christ with those people all around about us. It's part of, of the, the responsibility of one who receives of the grace of Jesus is to become a partner with him. There was one writer who, uh, who, who's highly respected in my church who said that when we accept Christ, we become like a link in the chain let down from heaven for the saving of mankind. A link in the chain. And she also goes on to say that there are many who are wistfully looking to heaven, longing for the light of truth, just waiting for somebody to come and share it with them. We have a responsibility, and I tell you, there's no more thrilling work in this world than to tell others of what Jesus has done for you, his saving grace, his forgiveness, and the peace that floods your heart as you look forward to his soon return. Wonderful message that we have to share. Now, where was it that we were talking about? Yes, I was talking here about the fact that this gospel must be shared in all the world, and my church, and I cannot speak for other churches as I can for my own, my church has taken this commission, this gospel commission, seriously, and so have uh, in recent times launched a great soul-winning outreach known as Global Mission. Global Mission is an initiative whereby it is determined to take the gospel to, to, to uh, every unreached people group in the world as quickly as possible so that the work of Jesus might be finished. Now it started out looking at unreached people groups of a million or more. And then it was recognized that there are many countries where you don't have unreached people groups of a million who haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel yet. But there are unreached people groups of 20 and 30 who live down my street or in my club or are my workmates where I, in the place where I work. See, there are unreached people groups who are ethnic groups. There are unreached people groups who are in socio-political groups. There, there are unreached people groups who... Uh, who are, uh, are uh, elderly or, or children, all kinds of groups around us, people who need to hear the gospel. And so the initiative has been set into motion. And I want to tell you, friends, when I see what is happening in the world around us today in the, the work of spreading the gospel, I'm encouraged to know that the second coming, the long-awaited second coming of Jesus is very, very near. Very very near. Nearer than many of us, I believe, even imagine. Even imagine. Wonderful thought that Jesus is coming soon. I'd like to share with you a little of what is happening in uh, fulfillment of the, uh, the text of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where it says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. I'd like to share with you just a little of what is happening in fulfillment of that statement of Jesus and that promise of Jesus. You know, uh, as, uh, as one looks out around the world, one recognizes that there are many places where the gospel isn't preached yet, but there are many places where it is preached. And for years, uh, Seventh-day Adventists have proudly announced to the world that they are, are working in 176 different countries of the world. And then you see a few years later, that had to be amended and we began to announce to the world that we were now working in 182 countries of the world. And then it, was, uh, it had to be changed again and amended from time to time. And today it is more than 206 countries of the world because we have some people working in some countries who are doing a, a, a kind of welfare work but not a gospel work yet. 
they're, they're opening up the way. We have for many years been able to share that the membership of our church is growing at a faster rate than the world population. Did you know that that is so? We hear tremendous population growth figures from time to time and, and we're challenged by that. But I want you to know that the membership of my church, and I'm not talking of other churches, they're, they're having tremendous growth too. But the membership of my church is growing at a faster rate than the world population. Let me share with you just two or three figures that, that relate to this. Back in the year 1888, which is 104 years ago, in 1888, there was one baptized Seventh-day Adventist, that means somebody who is old enough to make decisions and, and has been baptized by immersion. There was one baptized Seventh-day Adventist in the world for every 58,000 of the, of the general population. Now that's not, a, not very many, you see. It was a very small minority in 1888. Come down through the stream of time, just 52 years, and you come to the year 1940. And I was on, on planet Earth by that time. And you know, in 1940, there was one Seventh-day Adventist, baptized Seventh-day Adventist in the world for every 4,500 of the general population in, in round figures. Let's come down another 52 years from 1940 to 1992. In 1992, there was one baptized Seventh-day Adventist in the world for every 780 of the general population. You see what I'm saying? You see, the, the world population is, there's a march on and we're catching up on the world population. That's what I'm saying. That's what my church alone is doing. And I haven't added in the figures of what other churches are doing in sharing the gospel with uh, the people of the world, you see. And while it is true that there are many large parts of the world where the gospel hasn't yet been, uh, been uh, penetrated, you know, for years we've wondered how ever we would, we would penetrate such countries as, as Russia and China. And then there's the great Muslim world, you know, the huge population of Muslims in the world who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. And we wondered how we could ever penetrate into some of these places. When troubled by such thoughts, I was reminded of a statement that was written by a, a very, I believe, an inspired writer who said, God's plans know no haste and no delay. <laughs> you see, no delay. You can't delay God's plans. You might get left behind, but you don't delay God's plans. They're going to go on as God plans it. So it's a matter of trust, you see, that when God is ready, he will open up the way for the gospel to go to these large people groups. And none of us dreamed that it would be opened up in such a dramatic way as it has in recent years. Why, just a few years ago, there was a, there was a great concrete wall separating between East and West Germany. And you remember, anybody who tried to run that wall was gunned down and buried under the sod. They, they meant business in keeping, keeping the, the two Germanys apart. And then one day there seemed to be a little crack appeared in that wall. And before you could turn around, friends, there were people clambering all over that wall with pickaxes and sledgehammers, and they were tearing it down. They didn't just break a hole in that wall or open the gate. They brought the bulldozers in, and they pushed the whole wall down. And it's gone today. And the same thing is true of the, in the communist world. Just a few years ago, we thought it was impossible 
for, for the, the communist world to open up quickly for the spreading of the gospel. And yet today, I tell you friends, uh, it's happened so fast that, that we, we've been stunned by it, caught unprepared. And so there are so many communist countries today wide open. And I want to tell you friends, while I'm concerned about what's happened in Russia, and I've been praying with John and others of you that uh, God will overrule. I, my God is still in control. I want you to know that. He's a powerful God. And what does it tell us in the book of Revelation about God? It says that he has, Jesus has the key, and when he opens, no man shutteth. Doesn't it say that? When he opens, no man shutteth. And when he shutteth, no man opens. You see, God is, control, is in control. And if he chooses to open the doors... And open the possibilities of sharing your faith with the people in Russia and maintain the freedoms there, then that's going to happen. And nobody can stand in his way. Nobody. We need to be ready to take up the, the challenge and meet the opportunities. That's the point. One 71-year-old man. You know, when you're getting 71, it's about time that you put your, you know, your case down and you put your feet up and enjoy life a little bit. Don't you think so? <laughs> that's the way some people think but not this man he was a Christian he loved the Lord and this 71 year old man said I want to know what I can do for Christ and he thought about it for a while and he decided he would dedicate the next 12 months to doing all he could to share his faith and so he went from town to town and village to village just going from door to door introducing people to the Bible talking to them about, about Jesus Christ and you know, as a result of his witnessing, that man raised up 21 churches and baptized a thousand people in 12 months. 12 months. If he can do it, you can do it, brother. And so can you, every one of us. We have a commission from our God to share what we have and to tell others about Jesus Christ and his love. Why, there was a little black lady down in one of those states down south in the, I don't know the names of the states in this place yet, but we're down there somewhere. And, and this little black lady lived in a town where there were no Adventists at all. And she uh, wanted to know what she could do. And she thought about it and prayed to God, what can I do to share my faith? And one day she saw in the newspaper that a church was for sale. Some denomination was selling out, they'd, they'd, their numbers had dwindled, and so she went down and she bought that church. And then she wrote to the conference president and she said, I want you to help me. Um, I'm the only Adventist in this town, and, uh, and I've bought a church, but we don't have anybody to worship in it. What can you do to help us? And the president was so moved, he sent an evangelist down into that town, and today there are over 70 people worshipping in the church that that little lady bought. It was her form of witness for Christ. See? And these stories can be repeated again and again. I must tell you, my friends, just one more story that comes, comes to me from, from uh, Ethiopia. <laughs> Our headquarters office for the work of the church in Ethiopia is in the city of Addis Ababa. And one day, one of our pastors working in that office received a letter from the country known as Eritrea. And the letter said, I want an Adventist pastor to come and visit me. Didn't give any details why, just said, I want you to come. And a name was signed at the bottom. Now this pastor read that letter and he thought, uh, shall I go to Eritrea or shall I not? 
he was very apprehensive about it because the last Adventist who went down to Eritrea was a, a young lady who went down to witness and they, they, it's, a, it's a Muslim country where you're not allowed to witness for Christ, you see. And they took that young lady out and they jumped on her body until she died. And so he was afraid, you see, to go down there in response to this letter. He thought it might be a trap, it might be a snare, I don't know what it is. But anyhow, finally he remembered Paul who was called to go over into Macedonia and, and he went and the Lord blessed wonderfully and so he said, all right, if the Lord is calling, I'll go. And, and he went down to Eritrea and he found the address and he went up and he knocked on the door or whatever they do there. I don't know if they'd knock on the door or just push it open and walk in. But he found in there, he found that it was the home of a wealthy sheik, you know, an oil magnate. A man who, who was high up in, in, in influence in the Muslim world and a wealthy man, extremely wealthy. And he was afraid immediately. He thought, what am I doing here in the home of a sheikh in, in, uh, in Eritrea? However, he introduced himself. He said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. You wrote asking for a pastor to come and visit you. Uh, what can I do for you? And the man said, come in here quickly. He took him into a room and they shut the door and he sat down. He said, I'm so glad you've come. I'm so glad I've been looking forward to you coming. I have 300 people ready for baptism and I need someone to baptize them. <laughs> oh, you know, the, the pastor said, what, what, you, a sheikh, you have 300 people? How, how did you get 300 people ready for baptism? He said, the angel of the Lord has been visiting me. He said, I have been longing for light and truth and I've been praying to God. And he said, an angel has been visiting me night after night and explaining the Bible to me. And I have taken what has been explained to me and I have shared it with my friends and associates, people all around. I had to do it secretly because it's forbidden in that country, you see, to do those things. He said, I shared what I learned from the angel, I shared it. And I have 300 people ready for baptism now. So the pastor went around with him and they met as many as they could and, and he, he questioned them as to what they understood. He found they understood all the basic truths of the word of God and most of the prophecies. They had it all clear. Isn't that amazing? You see, God has a thousand ways that we haven't thought of yet of opening up the work and finishing it quickly. He doesn't do it all alone. He always involves the human element in that work somewhere along the line. And so he opened up the way in a country where it was impossible to, 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 to work for Christ. He opened up the way and then he called his people in there and they were able to work through a local man. And they baptized as many of those people as they could in secret, in little streams at night, in ponds, even in baths in people's homes. They baptized them in the water, put enough water in there to baptize them. And the work is growing and progressing in the country of Eritrea as a result of that. Oh, my friend, what was it? What was it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? Do you remember? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And I believe the, the evidence is overwhelming in the world around us today that the coming of our Lord and Savior is near. And while there may be large pockets of the world that have not yet been touched, countries that haven't yet been opened, God can open those doors overnight and in a short space of time we can find the opportunities to finish the work in all the world. 
And I haven't told you these stories just to entertain you and to, and to tickle your ears, as it were. I have told you these stories because they are an evidence of what Jesus said would be signs that his coming is near. When the gospel has gone everywhere, into all the world, then he's coming back again. And I believe that that day is very, very near. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through to 37? Cast not away therefore your confidence, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of uh, attending a conference, a world conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, known as the General Conference Session in the city of New Orleans. I was living in Australia at the time, and with my wife, we came over to New Orleans, and we, we met for the main meetings in, in a, a large domed room. It, it was a room shaped something like this, with a doom, domed ceiling, like a bowl upside down. And it was a large room that seated about 12,000 people. I remember on the first night of that uh, general conference session, when the seats were all filled, and there were 12,000 people or thereabouts seated in that room, that those who were taking charge of the meeting that night, right at the beginning of the meeting, asked that we observe a minute's silence in respect for those champions of the faith in our church who had died during the last five-year period. And so we stood and they read the names of these people. There were names like HMS Richards and some other names that are well known to, to many of you. And uh, we stood and observed a minute's silence and it was, it was awe-inspiring. 12,000 people not making a sound. It was so still, so quiet. We weren't specifically honoring the people, but we were thinking about their dedication to the cause of Christ and how we ourselves might dedicate ourselves in ministry for Christ. And when the minute was just on finished, somebody had made his way up through the superstructure of the ceiling of that great dome, right up to a place up there above the, the platform, and there was a little opening in the ceiling, and he poked a trumpet down through that opening and he began to play the tune of a song that was known by most everybody there. The golden morning is fast approaching. Jesus soon will come to take his faithful and happy people to their heavenly home. Oh, we see the gleams of the golden morning piercing through this night of gloom. Oh, we see the gleams of the golden morning that will burst the tomb. Isn't that a day you look forward to? There's not one of us here hasn't some little quiet spot in a cemetery where there's some loved one, grandparent, child, husband or wife laid aside. We long for that day, don't we? And as we stood there and heard these pure, simple notes of the trumpet, there were no fancy trills to spoil it, just the pure, simple notes of that tune, beautifully played on a trumpet. Oh, we see the gleams of the gold. You know, I felt as he finished and the, the sound of his trumpet echoed back and forth across that dome. I felt like shouting, Hallelujah! 
For I stood, you see, I stood as it were in my mind's eye at another time and another place with the great dome of God's heaven over us. And I imagined that Jesus was coming back again and I heard the trumpet blast. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the apostle Paul tells us, with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I tell you, friends, because I imagined as I listened to that trumpet that I was standing on that final day, I again felt like shouting, Hallelujah! Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, Jesus says. May God bless you as you look forward to the soon coming of our Lord and Savior. Thank you, dear friend, for being with us today for the telecast of the Lord's Day service from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California, a ministry of the Carter Report. If you've enjoyed the broadcast today and the teaching of pastor, teacher, evangelist John Carter, we have a special free gift for you, but you need to write us. The special gift this month is our beautiful new pictorial entitled Sunrise Over Russia, a pictorial account of what God has done in his mighty move of the Holy Spirit in the city of Nizhny Novgorod, Russia. Two six-week evangelistic meetings in that great city, 92 and 93, that have resulted in over 3,800 baptized believers and three brand new churches begun. More than 18,000 people during those crusades gave their hearts and lives to Christ and have been born again by the grace of God. You'll want your account of Sunrise over Russia. Also, this month our gift offered to you is an audio cassette entitled How to Survive in a Sewer. How can you and your family live in the culture of the United States and of Canada during these days and live a victorious Christian life? How can your children be protected from the onslaughts of Satan's opposition as he wants to destroy you, your children, your grandchildren, and every Christian home? You'll want your free audio cassette. It's available for you. Simply write us, John Carter, Care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. What a privilege we have to televise the gospel every week throughout the United States on Three Angels Broadcasting Network and on numbers of other stations and cable systems. We appreciate the privilege that we have of carrying this eternal gospel message to people who need to hear. We have the privilege of broadcasting the gospel five days a week in a 30-minute Bible teaching ministry here in Los Angeles on KFSG 96.3 FM, 7.30 p.m., as well as 10 p.m., Monday through Friday, every evening. We're on a number of other stations throughout America and also in Canada. We'd love to send you the log of where you can hear the Focus on Prophecy broadcast with John Carter. When you write us, simply address the radio and television log department, and we'll send that information along to you as well. Please pray for us earnestly that as we carry the message of Jesus throughout North America, by radio and by television, as public crusades for Christ are conducted in the land of Russia, and as we have the privilege of telecasting the gospel at prime time, 9.30 p.m., 
we have the joy and delight of seeing tens of thousands of Russians respond each week. Once again, the address, John Carter. The Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Write us this week. Beverly and I have a very special invitation for you to come and join us this coming Saturday morning with a very special group, the Community Adventist Fellowship. We meet every Saturday mornings at 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. We start right there at 10.45 a.m., and we have great music with Paul Mickelson, Steve Bolt. Then we have the special ministry of prayer. We believe in a personal God who really and in a wonderful way communicates with His people. And we would like you to be part of our prayer ministry. Then we have the strong prophetic teaching of the Holy Word of God. We believe that God has a very special message for the people today. And this message is found in the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. Come, be part of our fellowship this coming Saturday morning at 10.45 a.m. And the address is 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California.